Hello, we are back after a short seasonal break. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Healthy for Men podcast in association with Holland and Barrett. My name is Tom Rowley, editor of Healthy for Men magazine. And in this episode, we speak with Olympic triathlete and supporting athlete for the Brownlee brothers, Gordon Benson. Gordon and I discuss sleep, nutrition, and all the things that make up a professional athlete. It's spring, which means winter has officially come. In this issue of Healthy for Men magazine, we speak with Kit Tarrington, star of HBO's Game of Thrones, about how he keeps fit for fighting White Walkers. Pick up your copy at any Holland Barrett store throughout the UK today, and I hope you enjoy our conversation with Gordon Benson. Gordon, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Excellent. So you've come down from Leeds today, haven't you? Yeah, I uh, came down last night, went for a little run in the evening and ran again and swam this morning. Fantastic. And what are you training for at the moment? Uh, I think this year I'm going to open up my season in Madrid with the Triathlon World Cup the first weekend in May. Okay, so. fantastic. Blimey. What was it like training in Hyde Park? It was actually quite nice. Um, yeah, I did a couple of laps of what was the Olympic run course in 2012 this morning. Uh, so it's quite nice. I was there watching uh, in 2012 and it was quite nice to just do a couple of laps and enjoy it. Beautiful day as well, huh? Yeah, the weather is ridiculous for February. Uh, it always rains in Leeds, so it's quite nice to see yeah. the sunshine down here. So I hear, yeah, sunny, sunny London though, you know. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you got into um, training right from the beginning. I mean, what, what brought you into uh, the very highly esteemed art of triathlons? All my life I've been active uh, since like as far back as I can remember. Uh, doing everything from football, rugby, uh, cross country at school, swimming, like everything, just never inside, always outside. Mm. Uh, that was kind of my go-to. I'd always just be trying to get out and do something. And I was swimming and running from a young age. Um, probably swimming as far back as I can remember and running kind of low-key, running for school and doing like the local cross country. And aged 11, I qualified for the mini marathon, which was at the time was the last 10% of the London marathon. So you start and just cover the last 2.6 miles. Um, and I was only 11 at that point, And it was great to kind of do the last portion of the London Marathon. Wow. And it was like an amazing event to be at. But I was only age 11. So before that, I joined a running club, Leeds City Athletics Club. And started training for running as well. So then I was juggling, swimming, running. And I was still playing a little bit of rugby. But that didn't last too long. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure contact sports are for me. <laughs> what is it about contact sports that you don't like? Uh, I don't know. I think... I'm more suited to individual sports, probably. Um, Beating your own sort of your PB and everything. Yeah, um, kind of pushing yourself rather than mm. relying on others. But now, obviously, the relay has become a part of triathlon. Uh, mm. That's going to be in the next Olympics, which is something I'm trying to specifically target. So that's actually really exciting. And having done individual sports for the best part of 10 years now, like properly, um, it's nice to be coming back to a little bit of team environment. And yeah, because now you're all about other people, aren't you? You're all about your mates win winning the medals. Yeah, um, it's kind of nice and not nice because you train so hard, you do everything you can, almost everything you do so you can be in control and then you can't control what the others do now. So obviously there's two men, two women in the relay 
Um, and it alternates. So it's a woman first on first leg every time, followed by a man, woman, man. And people always ask, is it, um, do you all swim, then do you all ride, then do you all run? So it's basically a mini triathlon each. And the short and the distances, so we're racing over about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, being on a team sport now, you're only in control for a quarter of that result and a quarter of that race. So the other people have kind of out of your control. So I hope they work hard. Absolutely. Yeah. So also, I mean, you're clearly really into your training, but a big part of your, your training is, is being a nutritionist as well. So you know how to fuel your, your training like an expert. You don't need to rely on anyone else. Yeah. I studied nutrition at uni. It wasn't terribly sport specific. It was kind of general broad topic of nutrition. Uh, but I actually found it really interesting. Um, it was a little bit of a stab in the dark selecting nutrition to study, but, Mm -hmm. um, in hindsight, I don't think there'd be many courses that I'd have been happier on. Uh, I quite like the science-based aspect, and that worked quite well for me. But then also, it was interesting. It was things I could apply to my daily lifestyle now. So, um, yeah, I guess it had benefits all the way through. But as to how much I use it specifically, probably not that much at this point in time. But in the future, I guess I probably would like to use it. But, um, yeah, I'm constantly trying to read and learn more whether it's about nutrition or just lifestyle or mm-hmm. anything that can improve performance, but also just expand knowledge on everything. I, th- I always think it's good to try and be learning all the time. Absolutely. So what have you learned recently that you've uh, incorporated into your training routine? Uh, well, I listened to a podcast, uh, Joe Rogan's obviously one of the big podcasts out there at the moment. And he good did one with a guy called Matthew Walker, who's like the sleep doctor, a uh, big sleep enthusiast. And it was all about um, how much getting more sleep can be beneficial to performance. Mm -hmm. And there was a portion of it that was like athletic specific. And I found it really interesting. So then I've got the book, but I feel like the the book's pretty hard going. Mm -hmm. I've yet to get stuck into it, but just kind of wait until I've got a bit of easy time. So then I can get stuck into it. it? Yeah. Um, Yeah, Sleep's massive at the moment, isn't it? And it's it's obviously getting bigger for athletes and um, getting the perfect amount of sleep and knowing how to get enough REM and enough deep sleep and, not yeah. too much light sleep or that kind of thing. Yeah, and like eight eight hours might not be enough. Now they're saying get nine every night, and mm. like I've probably got time to do it. It's just management and breaking habits and yeah. getting it done. But uh, yeah, at the moment I'm currently on track with. I think sleep could be really important, and it can really maximise recovery. So it'd be great to try and increase that, and not only increase the duration but also the quality. And mm. it's, um, he brings out suggestions on how you can improve quality, and he's just got all sorts of ideas into sleep improvement and the benefits of it and having listened to it and then read about it more I've kind of started to believe in it a little bit so then Mm. once you start to believe in something it's easy to put into your lifestyle and every day I mean if I've got a a run the next day with a friend or something or a class usually the night before I can't sleep I can't imagine what it's like if you've got a massive event in Rio do you struggle to sleep before something like that Mm, not particularly um Sometimes you sleep better than others. I, I tend to sleep all right, to be honest. Um, one of the best, I like the one, you remember the races where you go really well. And I think one of my better races in Russia in 2014 is like the European under 23 championships. I was the first year under 23. And I had a bit of a nightmare getting there. I'd, so I'd flown down to Heathrow, maybe on the Wednesday night. And we're racing on Saturday in Russia. Um, I flew late but we got delayed and I checked all my bags all the way through 
Um, so then I just went to Heathrow Airport Hotel and all my bags were checked through, but ended up missing the flight on the Thursday morning, which is quite early. So then the flight got, I was at the airport and the flight got delayed so they could take my bags off and we weren't allowed to get on. So then we got delayed flying to Moscow, then arrived in Moscow, had to fly again the next morning. Uh, but my bags didn't turn up in Moscow, so it's kind of, everything was here and there where... Oh, what like, palaver. And it's quite important as well because you need your bike and you need mm. your wetsuit because these things are all specific to you. Um, so I, I felt like I'd not slept properly for like a couple of days. I can imagine. And there was like an opening ceremony and stuff like that and I was just thought, right, I don't need any of this. I went to bed at 9pm, woke up at 9am the next day and I slept for 12 hours straight, which I never normally do. Mm. Like, it's really rare when I sleep that long. And... Yeah, 12 hours straight, got up, rest at 12 o'clock and one. And mm. I was really happy with that. And Amazing. I was like, I should try this more often, 12 yeah. hours sleep. <laughs> Obviously goes a long way. That's the key, 12 hours sleep. You heard it here first. Um, so what happens if, if you do lose your bike or, or your, your suit? I mean, you can get a, a replacement one, but it's just going to be, it's going to hinder using it quite a bit. Yeah, I've tried to be quite relaxed on most things. Like, because you, we travel so much and these things do happen. So you've kind of got to be adaptable as you can be because some people are so regimented and always go for the same routine. And if you're racing all over the world, like it's inevitable something's going to go wrong somewhere. Mm. And some people have got this strict breakfast that they've got to have pre-racing stuff. But by the time you've done eight weeks on the road, finishing in somewhere and you've got a race to do, like you can't be taking your favourite cereal around six different countries and putting it on like chances are you're going to eat it before you get to the end destination and the end race. So, um, yeah, I just try and be adaptable and try and be mm -hmm. quite flexible. But, yeah, I've had to race on borrowed bikes and things mm -hmm. like that, and you've just got to be quite quick thinking because yeah. the, the hardest part about that is I've raced in France on borrowed bikes quite a lot to eat, make travel easier. Uh, I raced for a French team, Versailles, and in like a French Grand Prix division. And we often borrowed their bikes, but the brakes are the opposite way around. So the front brake is on the left in France. Of we have it on the right in the UK. Uh, and you can make mistakes, which I can imagine, quite a yeah. lot of people have done in the past. Mm. Just pull the wrong brake at the wrong time and it all goes wrong. But that's probably the biggest challenge of mm. using somebody else's bike. Absolutely. So what is it in, in the first place that drew you into um, to triathlons? Is it that you can nail those three competitive sports and you don't have to choose choose one? Well, I was always like aware of triathlon because my dad, he didn't, like he wasn't a triathlete. Um, he, he was in the police, but he did a block of policing in Bermuda. He lived there for seven years in like the 80s. And he went to Kona to do like the Ironman World Championships, which back then was the only Ironman. But now Ironman's like a global brand and everyone's aware of it. And he did that. And there's like this newspaper cutting on the wall in the living room. So I was always aware of it, but never overly interested in giving it a try. Or you know, Ironman's very different to what I do. Just to be clear, I've never done anything like an Ironman. And I'd like to one day, but just not yet. Um, it doesn't tend to be what people do at a younger age, but like some people do, but kind of the mold is that you progress from ITU racing, which is what I do, uh, the short course, drafting stuff, mm -hmm. and then go into long distance. And that gave me a good awareness of triathlon. I was always aware of what it was, and I had kind of a good base for it. I'd been swimming and running from a young age. Uh, my swimming was a decent level, I thought. My running was going very well. And like I said, I was always just outside, active, 
and I was never like training for cycling, but I say I spent a lot of time playing on a bike, mm. and but I'd never been on a road bike. And then eventually, kind of after people had been like, "Give it a go, give it a go," and I kept shunning it. Uh, eventually, I just cracked on and tried when I started with an aquathlon, which is swim to run, and then kind of got selected for the Archer Academy. They lent me a road bike to try for a ride. Uh, kind of got a bit of a taste for it and mm. enjoyed it. It became one of the things that you, like, you get addicted to it almost. Mm. So you excelled at it quite quickly. Yeah, I think. So the Aquathon was probably in 2008. Mm. Did my first road bike ride at 2009. It was like a British podium at the end of 2009 and then international in 2010. So it's quite a quick turnaround from like less than two years to like 18 months from never having been on a road bike to yeah. international, which was kind of, at the time you're 16 and you're going away from your mum and dad, you get to go to Portugal with your mates. That's that was lot. the first one. It becomes quite easy to get a taste for it and enjoy it when uh, you get that freedom and different, like you're traveling already. Mm. And like I've been fortunate to do a lot of traveling of triathlon, so it's been quite nice. And Do you still appreciate it for that aspect of it? Um, yeah, probably not as much as people. Like... I've been all over the world, but I've seen a lot of inside of hotel rooms and I've not seen that much of these cities that I've been to. And people think, oh, it must be amazing, you've been everywhere. But yeah, you kind of have and you kind of haven't. Like quite often you get half a day after the race and then you fly home. But yeah, you don't actually see all that much the majority of the time. But then again, that's not why I'm there and I'm fully on board with that. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever, like, I've never really taken opportunities to go on holiday. I'm quite content to just have some nice time at home. I love where I'm from. Uh, like Leeds is oh, special good. to me. Yeah. And I travel so much that I'm always just happy to be at home. But yeah, I do enjoy traveling, especially doing it with my mates and teammates. So how did you end up, so you, you were called a support racer for the, for the Brownlee brothers. How did you end up in that position? Yeah, I was probably, uh, I was aware of the Brownlee brothers because they'd been at the cross country races and stuff that I'd done from a really young age. And then they started to excel at triathlon and I was kind of aware of it. And then as I started doing triathlon, they, uh, their coach kind of invited me to just attend a couple of their sessions and I'd be at school at the time. So I'd go for a swim preschool they'd all go back to bed or whatever you do I'd have to go to school and then sometimes it'd be like half term and they'd be like we're going out for a ride on Wednesday if you want to come and I'd go and spend four hours on the bike with them and it was always quite interesting just chat to them and learn from them but I was always absolutely spent at the end of it because I was just 16 and kind of go all in to try and keep up and it was fine at the time then it'd always take me three or four days to recover and I'm like mm-hmm. these do this every day this is quite a big commitment but I think it's something that I'd quite like to do. Yeah. And then that was kind of my initial involvement. But then, yeah, in, in the end, I ended up supporting their role at Olympics in 2016 because I kind of got selected for British Triathlon and turned it the pilot role, mm-hmm. which is British Triathlon will basically pick a team of athletes that are either capable of delivering medal winning performances. Mm-hmm. And if they don't see you as a medal, winning athlete then they'll pick a team to support medal delivery mm-hmm. because unfortunately it's not about like you might have an athlete who's capable of a top seven or eight but the way it's got to be it's kind of cutthroat and top seven or eight isn't going to cut it now because 
everything from funding to all the support British Triathlon get is based on Olympic medals, so it has to be all in to get them medals. And any way that can be influencing that. So on, the bike's the big part, really, um, of it being drafting. Um, having help on the bike can have a massive influence on the race. But then it's it's quite hard to do and get right because you've got to be able to swim fast enough and then be useful on the bike. And like running takes a back step. So it's it's kind of a weird role because you commit to not really running for a year mm. and then you're not, then you're racing very differently and you're not winning races. And like, I loved it at the time. And I kind of, I got selected for Olympics, which was a massive goal of me, like for me since I was young. But also, it was a weird year because I didn't really, I never really raced for myself. And yeah, you're a bit training, of an unsung hero. Well, I mean, you're I fighting off the I didn't other... have a great race, to be honest. I had a bit of a shocker. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go anywhere near unsung hero, but. Um, how, how come it was a, a bad race? I crashed on the bike, which wasn't great. Mm. And I uh, didn't have the best swim either. So it kind of, it all went wrong really. But mm. um, the night before, I remember the head coach from British Triathlon, like they kind of sat me down and I was 22 and it was, I was at the Olympics. I think they were a bit worried about me, like it might all get a bit much. Mm. And they were like, just how are you feeling? Are you, are you all right? And I was like, yes, yeah, to be honest, I'm absolutely fine. Like mm. you've brought me here to be like to aid medal delivery. And it's not like I'm trying to aid people who aren't capable of medals. Mm. And it's like touch and go whether we do it. Like, on paper, I've seen, I've been there for the last eight weeks. We've been away for so long. I know all the training that's been done. I've seen everything that these guys can do. Like, in my mind, they're the best two in the world. Yeah. And I very much believe they get gold and silver, whether I was here or not. But now it's just like, so that kind of takes pressure off me. I believed in the ability of the two yeah. other athletes, Alistair and Johnny. And I thought they were very capable of doing mm -hmm. the job in hand. And then it was just kind of contribute where I can and do that. But... Yeah, for if the opportunity came for 2020 to be the pilot athlete or other, I'd probably, I think now, aged, I'll be 26 by then. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that role would suit me because it'd be another year out almost and mm -hmm. that'd be a backward step. But at 22, it was a great opportunity to go and do that yeah, and to go to an Olympic Games. But I think everyone finds it in athletics, triathlon, whatever your sport is, like you kind of tick a goal off and it's never enough. Um like going to the Olympics, you, once you've been, it's not enough. And then you, you want to go and you want to get a medal. And then I'm sure if you get a bronze medal, that's not enough. You want to go and you want to get a silver medal or a gold yeah. medal. And then you get a gold medal, you want a second medal. Like It becomes relative. So where does it, where yeah. does it all end? I don't, I don't know if it ever does. That's, uh. that's kind of what, it just moves away. Uh, mm -hmm. Like It just gets further and further into distance because you kind of have that re realisation when you're on, well, obviously Team GB have been, like up front in the Olympics for the past couple of years now they've done really well in London they did even better in Rio and to be on that team was like a massive privilege really um, Team GB of like an amazing body and uh, it was great to be part of that but like the flight home is probably the best way to describe it so you, like you kind of gold medalist multiple medalist end up in first class on the plane um, then you kind of silver and bronze medalist take the business class and then everybody else just kind of end up in the back section. And it's not that you don't want to, you're not interested in the business class or the first class, mm -hmm. but you kind of sat in this massive bunch of people who are all kind of unhappy and disappointed. That's which is it, weird because 
like obviously everyone's had a great time they're all happy to mm -hmm. be there they've worked hard and maybe some people have achieved everything they wanted but you're not one of them are you you're yeah but I can't imagine there's anybody who's sat there content mm -hmm. when there's a team full of people up front who have like excelled and done well and there's people that have won multiple medals yeah um, I just think everyone wants to be in that position and that's, that's what you train hard for every day uh, it's not the medal itself it's the kind of goal you set yourself and like it's a lot more intrinsic than materialistic um, but the way it's like sectioned down on the plane is like a really good way of explaining it uh, that is because a you sat there and you, everyone's a bit like like it's, it's, the atmosphere is weird because mm. everyone's had a great time and it's obviously it's been probably the biggest couple of weeks of a lot of people's lives but then again everyone would rather be up front more because yeah we train hard every day and the gold medal would be great really absolutely yeah Yeah. So how do you, so the moment you're, you're, you train all the time, basically, don't you? Yeah. I'm a full-time athlete. You're a full-time, you're a full-time athlete. Um, so how many days a week do you train then? How many rest days do you have? Rest days. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's many people taking them in triathlon, sadly. So we call them recovery days? Yeah. Is there uh, a day that you're not, um, on the bike? Yeah. I'm probably riding five days a week, running either six or seven days a week, mm -hmm. uh, swimming five days a week. But then, yeah, kind of by the time you throw it all together, Friday is probably the rest day, but we swim in 5k on a Friday morning, go straight to the gym. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I go for a little jog in the afternoon, so you call it a rest, if you will. <laughs> uh, it never lets up. But I find with being an athlete as well, like even if you're a, if you're on a rest day or whatever, you never, you're, you're still an athlete. Like being an athlete is 365 days a year, like 24 seven. It, it never lets up. You can't like, even for the two weeks off you might have at the end of season, like you're having that time off for a reason to rest and recover for the next block. Like you're always an athlete. You don't like, you never leave the office. You're kind of always there a little bit. Uh, but I quite like that as well. It's good lifestyle. I wouldn't change it for the world. Excellent. It's good to hear you never want a, a vacation, a cheat day, a cheat week. Hmm. We, like we take time off and you try and enjoy it best you can and stuff. But you, like you're having that time off for a reason because you've spent everything your body's got for right, a full yeah. season and then your coach tells you, right, I want you to have a rest now. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it's kind of never by choice. It's always like, go and have a rest, take time off. And, and then we're athletes because we can't sit still half the time. So yeah. uh, we're having a rest and all you want to be doing is training. So yeah, it's, it's always a weird one. So what's been the biggest challenge in your career so far? I think... Uh, through 2018 was quite challenging for me. I was injured in the first race of the season, uh, which is actually about a year ago now. Uh, it was like the first weekend in March last year. Um, we raced on the F1 track in Abu Dhabi. So we swam in like the marina, uh, raced on the bike around the F1 track. And it rained, which it only rains three or four days a year in Abu Dhabi. And it really rained. Perfect. And it was just, it was just super slick. The, the course was like mm. ridiculous. There's a lot of sections and people try to say, oh, maybe it's oil from the F1, maybe it's different surface. And obviously the F1 cars have, like, they heat the tyres up and everything like that. Like, we don't have all this science behind it. And we're on thin bike tyres racing around F1 track and you're going around off-camber corners. And 
it must have been awful to watch on TV because I think a, out of 60 guys on the start line, it must have been at least 45 crash. And a lot of the crashes were kind of out of people's control. Um, if you're riding in a big group and obviously riding in such close proximity that the guy in front of you crashes and you're an inch off his back wheel, there's just nowhere to go, nothing you can do. So you're putting trust in other people and like sometimes it's just not an option. You're trusting people, but you can't just ride the whole race on the front. So you've got to conserve energy. That's why we draft. And yeah, somebody crashed in front of me. Uh, I went down and tore, tore the rotator cuff in my shoulder. And it was a weird one because I was, I was relatively fine afterwards. I didn't realize I'd done too much. Mm. I came back, I raced on the Friday. I was back in the pool on the Monday. I was swimming and my shoulder wasn't quite right. I saw the physio a bit and I was mm. like, got some treatment. And probably the worst pain I got from my shoulders when I was driving because it was probably the only time I did this certain motion that triggered it. But I was finding it really hard to just consistently swim day in, day out. So I, I could swim and I could swim quite well, but I, it was really inconsistent. It was, uh, I'd do like two good sessions and I needed two days off to recover. Then I could do a half session. Then I'd take the weekend off swimming and then, you know, it was really inconsistent. I did a few tests and got a scan. I had like a greater than 50% tear through one of the muscles in my rotator cuff. So then in the end we opted for surgery. No and then, but you go from like being almost fine, like I could swim, I could do all these things. I had surgery and I just went to being absolutely useless. I was in a sling for 24 hours a day for three weeks. And then you lose all function. You can't drive, you can't cook, you can't carry anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a massive change for me just because I was 95% fine. I had the surgery. It seemed to put me back so much further than what it was doing in the long run. Yeah. And then I, I didn't really race much all season. I kind of started in September. I, I got a really late call up for the European. Uh, we'd had a few injuries. There'd been a crash in the individual and they needed someone for the relay. And they kind of knew I was just itching to do any race possible. And it was like Friday night and the race was on Saturday afternoon and the Europeans were in Glasgow and they were like, do you want to do a race? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. I just sat on the sofa doing nothing. I've been training all summer. I've mm. not had much opportunity. And with the relay being so short, I could kind of make it work as well. So yeah, I got a really late call up, drove up to Glasgow and did the relay the next day. And I, I love being back in the action, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it, it was nice as well because it was essentially like a home Europeans. Yeah. Um, like to have a... European Championships in the UK. Uh, it was great to be a part of. And I ended up being on the relay with friends mm-hmm. and racing against other people and seeing a lot of athletes I've not seen because I've not been there all season. And that was like essentially my first race back. And I then did a couple of late races in the season, but preparation wasn't really there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did probably underperform, but performed to the best I could mm. in that year. And then it's still about managing my shoulder now getting everything right and then hopefully get just keep the consistency coming and building towards the next season yeah so is your shoulder okay now you're uh yeah it's pretty good i'm still struggling with super consistent swimming mm-hmm. um it gets a little bit inflamed now and then and you just have to keep working on it mm. and that's with working in the gym working with the physio just always doing little bits and i've had to add different things to my swim program and just monitoring it and then if I feel like a little bit of soreness onsets, then there's a good chance it's going to get infl- inflamed. So I have to back off a little bit, but I'm swimming when I'm swimming well, I'm swimming as well as I have in the past. It's just probably the consistency is not there, but I'm trying to work on that and trying to make changes to get that right. 
and that's probably part of the reason I'm going to wait a little bit to race later on in the season rather than starting really early in February or March. Okay, so what is your um, what does your diet look like when you're in season? Do you really strict with yourself, or um, I'm not really strict. I think um, training up to 35 hours a week um, is quite a challenge to get enough calories in. Mm. We're training so hard and such long hours that like your body needs fuel. So if you're just eating the cleanest of diets all the time, you're going to struggle to actually put the calorie content in to help you train so mm. it's quite a weird one because um you do need calorie dense food sometimes and things like that and you do have to eat well though and you've got to re- eat the best things to recover and kind of get the best sensations in your body so yeah i think i've not made too many major changes uh to my diet over the years but I've always eaten relatively well and trying to have like good three meals a day and snack around that and fuel around training. But yeah, I'd say I eat well and I try and get, drink, drink a lot. Try and, I, I like, I'm a heavy sweater. Um, just activity, everything opens up and it just kind of pours mm. out of me. And uh, I think it's really important to get the fluids and that makes a massive difference to what I do. And you, you feel so good when you're hydrated as well. So that makes a massive difference difference when you are training you're more and focused racing. aren't you and yeah your um, mind feels more attentive yeah, there's all sorts of like nutrition hacks around racing you kind of always want to try new ones and what are some of these nutrition hacks then so kind of before racing i'll load up on so like nitrates have been proven to like beetroots yeah open up your capillaries so basically increase blood flow through vasodilation and that basically involves drinking like concentrated beetroot juice mm. pre-race, which is awful. Uh, oh, I love I it. But the concentrate's a lot worse than like a beetroot. It tastes like, a, it's impossible to describe, like <laughs> like the earth, like Earthy. soil. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to force it down and you can do like acute loading or you can do chronic and like I prefer acute because you kind of drink less of it, but you have to get a good, good amount in like the night before and the morning of. And then it always makes drug testing interesting after the race because you produce like a red urine sample. <laughs> and it can be quite uh, quite a shock to people. So I've been surprised a few drug testers in China with that one. I can imagine. Um, yeah. but so you yeah, need to go was, to the hospital now. Yeah, they're like, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I find that one really helps. And then caffeine. Uh, I just did my dissertation at uni on caffeine and how, that, how the body kind of reacts to caffeine. Oh well. So I find it interesting. I believe in caffeine as a as an aid, and it's obviously one of the clear ones, and just a great way to get it in pre-race. Yeah. So how does caffeine help you in your training? Then is it just is it an endurance thing, or is it is it an alertness? Or? Um, I think caffeine helps with both alertness and like it's a stimulant to the body, so it definitely mm. helps uh, give the body a little pick up, and it does help with like blood flow and everything as well. Mm. So it definitely. It's become a part of my daily training. Right. So you think it's got long-term benefits as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's obviously always research into caffeine. There's always varied opinions are coming in, but mm-hmm. I think in sport it's proven and it works. Right. I, I believe in it. Brilliant. So what, what, so what about a day before 
uh, a race, a big race, how would you how would you fuel up? Uh, I've tried varied approaches. I've tried doing like a almost a caffeine depression into a race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of avoid caffeine for a week or so and then try and have a heavy response on the day of. So almost going no caffeine at all in the week into it and then you start with a coffee with breakfast and you kind of... Off your face on caffeine. Become really alert that morning and then as you build up the caffeine intake into the race, then you kind of feel up peak by the time you're on the start line. Uh, but then the nutritionist told me I was maybe overdoing the old caffeine. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, we don't always agree on everything. Because uh, I, I like to think I've read about everything I try. Mm. But yeah, and I don't know how much you can, I don't think you can overdo it really. Because it doesn't, it's not a bell-shaped curve. It doesn't drop off. Right. Um, so it, it can never, for me, it can never have a negative effect on performance. And also carbing up, uh, just got to get the carbs in pre-race. Um, they massively help, obviously. Uh, and I, f- I kind of feel like your hydration's got to be key in race week, but not just hydration, like your electrolytes have got to be in there. You've got to be hydrated. You've got to have the right minerals, vitamins in the body. But um, yeah, like it's really straightforward. It's kind of, we're often traveling and in big cities, you can't cook or mm. in the hotel, it doesn't allow for it. So we just kind of eat out and eat best we can. but. Yeah, we tend to eat a lot of pasta, rice-based dishes, yeah. boring, plain foods. You've got to be quite adaptable if you're travelling, haven't you? Yeah, and especially when you travel to, like this year, I spent three and a half weeks, I started in Hong Kong, which is quite Western, but then I went to like rural parts of South Korea and Japan, mm-hmm. which is kind of a little bit more of a challenge. And you, you think like everywhere's got an Italian, mm-hmm. but not everywhere does have an Italian seemingly. Oh. And you kind of... <laughs> Dominoes at least. Yeah, no. you, you can make do, but um, yeah, we're always looking to kind of base everything around like simple carbs, mm. carb load a little bit pre-race. And on we go on race day, a good breakfast and solid, but then nothing that will potentially upset the summer, stomach as well. Do you supplement to like protein or creatine, anything like that? I'll occasionally use protein after big sessions, usually after the track session on a Tuesday night. We do like a kind of track session that often ends up going all in on a Tuesday. Uh, looking forward to that one tomorrow. Mm. And uh, yeah, quite often use that. And I, trend, like, I tend to mix it with milk as well, just so I get some calcium in before bed. Mm. So that really helps with recovery. And obviously sweating depletes your calcium. So mm. and calcium's a big part of your bone health as well. So yeah, I think there is a place for it, but yeah, I've never been reliant on it and I use it infrequently if anything. So yeah, I've not particularly... I've never been a massive believer or dependent upon, but I do use it, but it's more if it's there and available. Is there anything that you can't have, any any kind of supplements? That- There's a lot of, like questionable supplements. Like amino acids, I think, was a good uh, thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I, so there's... A company called Inform, Inform Sport, which check and monitor everything. So then they, if something's Inform tested, that means it's like safe to consume as an athlete. And every sport's got kind of banned and not banned substances. And obviously that's very black and white. And it's up to you what you put in your body. But if it's not Inform testing, there's a chance that even though it's a clean supplement, it could be like a bad batch or anything and that could trigger a negative test which 
or positive test even negative tests are good um but yeah it's just a big risk and it's not worth taking so i think yeah there's too much risk with a lot of supplements and there's been athletes who i'm confident have done nothing wrong in the past but have failed drugs tests just by almost taking contracts probably for money that they needed to aid their career but probably not the best company providing these supplements and it's kind of affected them by it's resulted in a two-year drug ban which is now i think you get a four-year ban Blimey. but it's not like it never goes away like your name's tainted mm. and i think like you almost feel sorry for these guys because i think chances are they are innocent but yeah it's companies have ruined like their career. you've got to they shouldn't have signed that contract they shouldn't have contributed those supplements and that's the choice they made ultimately i suppose if it's a big company that you've even heard of before or you know you, you might not even question it you think well it's something that's yeah. you know it's mainstream um, so surely it's fine for yeah. me to use and it then as an athlete there's a lot of things now where like gyms become very common mm. and there's a lot of companies that are coming through really well through the ranks but you do need to check whether it's informed sport and if it's tested and mm. everyone's batch tested because if every batch is tested then the likelihood is it's clean because mm. obviously um, that's been proven in the lab and uh, that's really important. So I'm always looking for that. Kind so of, there's a there's that, a label for that, that. product. Um, yeah, most sports supplements have informed sport, and that's as an athlete what I look mm. for in any supplement. I just that's important to me because this is my career and livelihood. But I Absolutely. love what I do, and I wouldn't want to have it taken away from me. And especially that's almost just a mistake. It's not wrongdoing, but you've just got to be aware and alert on that front got to be careful absolutely so we talked about an iron man which um you've never done before um but something that you would consider is there anything else that you're looking forward to in your career um now i'm particularly looking forward to the relay being a bigger part of triathlon. With that being in the Tokyo Olympics, that's something I'm looking forward to focusing on. So I think that gives me my best realistic medal chance this time around. And yeah, individually, I'm probably not ready. And like I said earlier, British triathlon selection is quite ruthless, but I believe that's the way it should be. And you're only going to get selected if you're a you're kind of regularly podium and at the front end of World Series triathlons and things like that. And... I'd say Johnny Brownlee's been the only regular podium and Alistair Brownlee, uh, but I'm not quite sure where his path's taken him at the moment. But yeah, I think relay gives me a great opportunity. And then I think potentially I would like to try 70.3, which is your half Ironman distance mm. in the next three or four years and eventually step up to Ironman. But eight hours of racing sounds like a long old way. It does, isn't it? Yeah. It's, so It's weird though, because... I think for Ironman, I could almost do less training than I do now and just do a little bit more specific. So would you just train, just have longer training days, but less days if you're training? I think for... I, whatever I end up doing, I'll always be training every day. Right. I kind of, I, I, like, I do have the occasional rest day, but never as much as weekly or monthly or mm -hmm. just kind of whenever it fits. Or I might need one or travel day, something like that. But yeah, I don't, I don't particularly see the need for a, full day off I think active recovery kind of works in sport mm -hmm. um, like a real easy run or easy ride helps like flush the legs things like that swimming is good because the hydrostatic pressure like from the water helps your legs recover which I find is quite good for me 
and even just going and do a 3k in the pool that can really help yeah, just recover wise instead of training mm. and then yeah i think you just have to spend more time in a bike position and obviously you're doing a lot of riding on your own but mm. i don't know if you need as much volume obviously you're racing over a longer period but you need specific like high power and that kind of difference where we're training for some so much variance mm. where everything's a lot more in your control because it's non-drafting and over eight hours you don't have to respond to other people as much there's a lot of things that can happen so just training within you where in drafting racing you've got to be able to respond to everybody else's input in the race Mm -hmm. so it's it's a very different style of racing but natural progression takes athletes towards ironman i think i'd definitely like to give it a go absolutely well i hope to see you do one um so do you do any other kind of training because you're on the bike you're in the pool or you're on the track do you do any kind of circuit training or any um um any kind of functional training uh so i'm doing strength conditioning a couple of times a week uh usually on a monday friday so kind of on a slightly easier days we throw an snc session in and that's usually injury prevention really um mm-hmm. uh, we kind of tailor made a program to suit us and we do like a screening at the start of the year and we work on things that could be potential weaknesses and they could become potential injuries and we set up a program around that to then hopefully prevent any injuries occurring and then recently I've got quite an, into yoga um, it's quite big at the moment a lot people, getting bigger with men yeah, isn't it yoga. people seem to do it more and more mm. I know Ryan Giggs was a big advocate for it yes yeah and he obviously played to very late in his career. And I'm really enjoying it as well, to be honest. I think it's good for your mental state. It's good for your body. Mm. And my flexibility is improving a lot with it. And then I've also been doing hot yoga, which is it's quite tough, to be honest. It's a Bikram a, yoga, is it? Uh, I've been doing like hot vinyasa flow. So vinyasa flows tend to be like my preferred choice, which is quite dynamic. Then you're talking like north of 30 degrees. And fly me. Yeah, it's a very sweaty session, but I'm just really enjoying doing it, to be honest. Mm. Um, it's great, and it's become part of my weekly training. Mm. And a lot of people are doing a lot of heat work in order to prepare for Tokyo. Oh, of course. It's going to be hot out there. Mm. And people are doing a lot in the heat chamber, kind of riding on the turbo trainer, running on the treadmill, which these kind of things I hate doing. I just think it's so mind-numbing, especially in the heat nice. chamber. Mm. It's a massive stress on the body that I really struggle with it, so... Yeah, hot yoga once a week's kind of been my introduction to a little bit of heat and Mm -hmm. putting a big heat stress on the body. But yeah, it's a session that I can actually enjoy rather than sitting on the turbo, staring at a wall and just sweating. Good for the mind as well, because you you tick the the meditation box as well, clear your head. And I also think there's other advantages that people don't see. So the whole like breathing consciously idea, if you can take that into racing Mm. and you can always maintain the breath through racing, I think a lot of time people panic in racing, kind of tighten up through the shoulders and chest, and then that affects their racing state. And a lot of it, if you just remember to breathe, Mm. sounds obvious. (laughs) You've been breathing since you were born, but yeah, I just think if you can breathe and relax while doing it, and you can maintain that conscious breath all the way through a race, that would make a massive difference while racing. Yeah, well, you, you say it's obvious and and, and is in in a way, but it's also something we take for granted. So we we just think that we can just do whatever we're doing and yeah. breathe. It's subconscious, Correct. isn't it? So it is, you, you do it, but like, can you change the way you breathe to make mm. it more efficient to get better performances out? And I, mm. I think there's probably places where a lot of people could. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. 
So what advice would you give to someone uh, like myself, for example, who's never done a triathlon before, um, but was thinking of perhaps training for one? Um, like triathlon's been growing massively. It's been great to see more and more people get involved and give it a go. I think like, I definitely encourage you to give one a go. Mm-hmm. And it's something you do need to train for. Um, there's obviously a full range of distance you could do like a super sprint or an Ironman super sprint's probably a better starting point but some people some people kind of jump in the deep end and go straight for the Ironman which is a brave decision to commit to mm-hmm. and you can quite often find yourself swimming 2.4 miles in the sea in this Ironman so it's a little bit of a risk if you take that approach it's probably not the most sensible mm-hmm. but um, you start with a super sprint you can quite often start with a, a pool swim triathlon uh, swim in the pool and then as you become more comfortable you can move into open water you can up the distance but for me I'd say the biggest part would be joining like clubs or just finding people to do it with people to join your journey because it can be quite tough and like if you're going to give one a go and you're going to have to train around work it'd be quite hard especially with the winter kind of training in the dark but if you could sign other people in the office up for the triathlon then can you train pre-work can you run together or can you agree to run in? So then you're both on the same page. And then can you do a ride after work together, something like that? Or just, yeah, having people to do it with. And it's quite often, there's a lot of groups who are training together. And it's just knowing about it and having the confidence to go along and get involved. And that's the best way to learn. Like, I've always been part of athletics clubs, swimming clubs. And it's so hard to do it all on your own. Mm. That if there's a big riding group going out of a particular part of London where you live or something why not just join them on a Saturday morning, go out with them for a couple of hours, mm. start enjoying it, learn the route, you learn from them and ultimately you get better, but you become, you enjoy it and you make friends ultimately, which is great. And then that'd be the best part for me to like take your journey towards doing a triathlon, make it achievable, but also make it enjoyable. Mm. Like doing a triathlon might be the end goal, but you don't want the training every day to be a chore on the way there because then you'd, you kind of do the triathlon, you take that box and you hate triathlon and you never do another one. Or you can make it something you enjoy day in, day out. You can train hard, but just train with your friends, enjoy it, make new friends, see new places, see parts of London on the bike that you've never seen before, see the countryside, get out there. Um, like It's a good opportunity. And I'd say, yeah, anybody who's thinking about giving one a go, get involved. Like You've got a full range of triathlons to start with. I know British Triathlon, I've got a scheme called Go Try, which is like a really short distance there almost in the gym so it's not like a triathlon as such you kind of just do a little swim and take just take your own time you get changed and then you do a bit on the stationary bike in the gym and a little bit on the treadmill but that's a great stepping stone into mm-hmm. what i'd say is like a real triathlon and you can join up for your local one and there's so many around the uk now that there's mega opportunities to give it a go absolutely yeah make it a lifestyle yeah absolutely well, Gordon, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us. Uh, it's been fascinating. I think you've given a lot of good advice um, to our listeners who want to take part in an incredible event like that. Um, and good luck with everything in the future. I hope to see you, you know, succeeding, supporting the Brownlee brothers, doing an, uh, an Ironman, whether it's a 70.3 or whatever it is uh, in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you so Enjoyed much it. for coming.